Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Matt Johnson. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Team Building Podcast. We've got a special guest with us today. We've got Tom Caffarella out of Boston, and he has built an amazing hybrid of kind of a real estate brokerage with an investing uh, component to it. Actually, the investing came first and then the residential team came later. So it's a very interesting story we're going to dive into. And there's a lot for you team leaders uh, and aspiring team leaders to learn from because essentially Tom's gotten to the point where each of the each side of the business, the investing side and the residential team side, each take him about an hour and a half a day to manage. That's it, leaving him to focus on other things uh, and build out some cool stuff that's coming down the pipeline. So with that said, let's uh, welcome in Tom to the show. What's up, man? Thank you for having me on. All right. So give us um, just kind of a a quick, like 60 second breakdown on who you are, where you're based at and what you do. Okay. So uh, obviously my name is Tom Caffarella. I am out of the Boston, Massachusetts market, and I have been a real estate investor for 10 years. And I never really thought I was ever going to get into the brokerage business, but about two, two and a half years ago, I had a very uh, big need to get into the brokerage business. And I've since built out a team of 140 real estate agents underneath me um, that helped me to identify deals and work my seller leads. Awesome. All right. So let's go into, so give me the breakdown on the 140 agents. So are they all, they're all essentially seller listing agents? Yeah. So, I mean, we, the, the need that I mentioned is, is based on the fact that we generate so many seller leads. Mm-hmm. So somewhere around 2013, it became impossible to buy and get really good deals on the MLS. So we had to make a choice. We were either going to have to overpay for properties that were listed online, or we had to go directly to the sellers in order to get deals. So in order to do that, we spend a bunch of money um, and we have some really good systems in place in order to get in front of sellers one-on-one. And on day one, when we started marketing to sellers um, directly, I was doing all the appointments. So it was just me. I was kind of running out, meeting with as many people as I possibly could. And as we started to ramp up, increase our marketing spend, get our lead generations a little bit better, I just couldn't do everything myself. So at that point I did have my own brokerage, but I was the only person within the brokerage. I was the broker owner. Mm -hmm. I was the person who was meeting with sellers, negotiating with them directly to purchase homes for my investment business. And again, I got to a point where I just couldn't handle the, the lead volume anymore. So I started taking on agents to basically fill the need of um, meeting with these sellers one-on-one. And so as we've kind of ramped up our spending and again, gotten our systems better, we just needed to hire and hire more and more agents. 
That's crazy though. Like 140 agents. That's a, that's a huge team. And obviously you're a, a broker owner, which I get that, but I mean, you literally started from the ground up. Now, when you say you're doing the deals yourself and you're, you're running the appointments and stuff like that, were you running them at, from the same perspective as a residential listing agent would, where you're going in there, but you have the, you're going in as an investor first, residential agent second, or were you even interested in taking the listing if the opportunity presented itself? Yeah. And so I said, I kind of got into the brokerage business by accident. And so when I was doing it all myself, I was just going out there, making them them an offer. If they took my offer, great. If they didn't, it was a dead lead to me. And so the first agent that I ended up taking on, I trained him on how to do the acquisitions and he kept coming back to me, you know, eight or nine out of 10 seller appointments saying, there's just no way that these people are going to take your offer. You know, I am landing, you know, the one out of 10 or two out of 10, but the other people, there's just no chance. Why are we not trying to list these properties? And I didn't honestly didn't think much, much about it at all. I said, you know, you want to try to list them? Go ahead. I mean, you know, if we were going out to a property that was built three years ago or it was in perfect condition or the seller really had no need to sell to an investor, we knew it wasn't going to be an investment deal. So he started just listing these properties and he started listing a lot of them. So that was my very first agent. And so that basically built the model that we have today, which is that when our agents go out to the properties, they always have a cash offer in their back pocket if it's the right move for the seller. And then they also have the ability to list the property. So that's kind of how it all, you know, came about. I, I, if, if that agent, never asked me to go after those as listings, I probably would still have a lot of team members, but we wouldn't have listings from it because he was the one who kind of started that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and just a quick question on the kind of the training side of that. So when you say that you trained him to, to do the acquisitions, uh, what does that look like? You know, I mean, obviously we know kind of a lot of people are familiar with what it takes to train up a, what you call a listing partner, or maybe somebody that goes out with you to the listing appointments, but then handles like the communication end and kind of acts Mm -hmm. as a listing agent, even though that the people think they're dealing with you. So that's what Jeff does with his listing partner. But what is it like to train somebody on the investing side to do the acquisitions and have those types of appointments? when your main goal is more of a cash offer? Well, it's funny because I always say this to every single agent that I talk to. Why aren't you an investor? Because the tools that it takes in order to land a listing are the exact same tools that it takes in order to land an acquisition deal. So you need to be prepared for the appointment. You have to have your kind of listing process, listing presentation. And the key is building rapport and getting them to know, like, and trust you. And whether you're trying to get an investment deal or you're trying to get it as a listing, at the end of the day, if you provide them with enough value, you consult with them and deter- help them determine whether it makes sense to sell to an investor or list their property, and they know, like, and trust you, you're going to get the business no matter how they decide to sell the property. So for me, training him at first was really just getting him to understand the sales process, getting uh, building rapport and getting them to know, like, and trust you. And, you know, he did great with that, you know, so well that he was able to start listing some of the properties. So really at the end of the day, it's a consultation. So we're going out there, you know, if they say they want to sell to an investor, we want to know why, because Mm -hmm. if they don't have a good reason to sell to an investor, more likely than not, it doesn't make sense for them. It will make sense for them to to go out and get retail, get their house ready, stage it, clean it, uh, go through inspections, all of that. But 
if there's a reason why they need to sell to an investor, then we want to identify that so that we can help make them make the right decision for the seller. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people would be curious about, uh, unless they've experimented or they have friends that have done this before, like the seller lead gen from the from the the investor perspective. Uh, when you see those leads come in, um, are, are they in a different frame of mind? Are they in a different life situations than the average you know listing appointment? You know, give us some scenarios where people would respond to your advertising. Um, and, you know, versus maybe just reaching out to a friend in the business who's a, who's a listing agent and have them come in for a listing appointment. So why would they respond to like a, a cash offer type of, uh, marketing? Well, you know, most people, if they're getting a cash offer type of offering and a listing one, so even if they have a friend in the business, most mm-hmm. likely they're still going to call us mm-hmm. because they want to see what we can offer without paying a broker. So okay. that's one that's one of the biggest things right there is when we go out there and we buy the property directly from them, there's no broker fee, there's no inspection, it's an as is sale, and they get to pick the date that they're closing. So there's a lot of benefits to selling directly to an investor. And w- when we're marketing to them, either online or calling or mailing or whatever we're doing, we're highlighting those benefits. And then when we get out there, we tell them those are the pluses and the minuses are that most likely – you're going to take a little bit less. So um, we get the, the people who respond to it tend to be anyone who's selling. It doesn't necessarily mean that it makes sense for them to sell to an investor, but they are curious as to what an investor can pay. And then we go out there and we make our you know pitch and um, help them make the best decision for them, themselves. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. And that, that's one of the interesting things that I looking from the outside in, not, not coming at it from the investor angle, but more of like dealing with expired listings and physios and stuff like that. I would have mm-hmm. thought or guessed that that would have been different that maybe the, the lead quality was either poor or they were, you know, hard pressed. I'm sure some of them are, you know, either hard pressed on timing or hard pressed on finances or something to where that, that cash offer sounds appealing. And then you show up and they can't either, either can't take it or they're not, or the deal just isn't, isn't right for, uh, for you to make. And you mentioned that it's only like one or two out of every 10. So you're losing all those other opportunities to potentially list the home. So I know it's, it's still prospecting. It's still a numbers game for you, but give me an idea of like, if you were, if you are a residential agent and you're going in and it's more of a traditional appointment and they haven't, you know, responded to that type of marketing, what is the value of having some of those options kind of in your toolbox to where you can talk about more options with them than just listing with you as an agent? Well, automatically right off the bat, if you're going in there as a listing agent and you're not presenting them with an offer right off the right on day one, you're probably going to lose those two out of 10 people who are going to sell to investors. So mm-hmm. right out of the gate, 20% of the people who you got, you were going to lose you're going to be able to gain back. But in addition to that, just giving that person that option is going to make you stand out from another listing agent because almost every other listing agent is going to go in there and provide them with one option. Now we're able to go in there and not only provide them with sell directly to an investor or list, but we're also able to say to them, look, if you want to try out listing, you know, you're not sure if you want to take a cash offer, you want to see what you can get on the market first, fine, we can do that. And we're going to guarantee the cash offer on the back end. And this sort of marketing pitch, um, I see, you know, here and there in different markets. And a lot of times that cash offer isn't real. So a lot of agents will actually market. Oh, you mean the guaranteed sale or will buy it. Right, right. And a lot of times that's actually not um, a genuine 
you know, right. offer, right? They, right? They're making that pitch in order to just get the appointment. In our case, we actually are providing it. I actually hope that they end up deciding to sell to me. So, <laughs> yeah, because you know, like so it's built into, is it built into the listing agreement? Is it a, is it a purchase contract with a contingency? Like how does that work to where you're actually making them like a solid offer that they know they can count on up front? So we're always writing them an offer right when we get there. And so they can hang on to it. And if they want to sign it after the fact, they can sign it after the fact. Um, unfortunately for me, in the Boston market right now, and in a lot of markets across the U.S., the market is so hot that it doesn't typically happen where somebody then lists their property and then they come back to me and take the cash offer. Um, but it does happen here and there, but it's a tool to help the listing agent get that listing. So if you're able to say, say that you're just a traditional real estate agent, you go out there, you push the listing, and then a cash investor comes out totally separate from you, they make an offer, the seller's going back and forth. What do I do? What do I do? If you're able to, to guarantee that cash offer in a worst case scenario, you're going to be able to get that. That seller has the best of both worlds. So you're going to be able to pick up a lot more business. In addition to the fact that if you're an agent going out there and you're making that offer directly, you're going to be able to actually double your business because in most cases, that investor is going to be able to give you the listing back on the back end. Interesting. Very, very cool. And, uh, and Jeff is just joining us running in from uh, for another appointment. Jeff, can you hear us? Yeah, definitely. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, everything's perfect. That's awesome. We can Sound jump good. right in and keep rolling. Uh, so we're talking about uh, how Tom's built up, his, how the investor business led to bringing on residential agents to handle all the potential listings he was losing uh, by generating all these leads through, uh, you know, through cash offer advertising and things like that. But I'd love to dive into kind of the team management part of it now uh, that Jeff is here with us. And because you've got a hundred and do you say 140 or 104? We've got 140 as of today. And we're taking on two to three new agents every week. Okay. So give us an idea of what that looks like in terms of like the team breakdown, who's, who's supervising them on a daily basis, who they're reporting to and all that good stuff. So I have a full-time sales manager who they're reporting to. So anybody that takes seller leads has to have a, a, a bi-monthly meeting. So every other week they have to meet with my sales manager for 30 minutes and she reviews the CRM that, that, that we use called follow-up boss. And she's looking to make sure that people are processing the leads. They're following up to see if they have any questions. And ultimately, for me, the biggest benefit is that, you know, I'm not dealing with the lower level things. And then something that does need to be bubbled up to me gets bubbled up to the top. So she's managing them on a day-to-day basis, in addition to the fact that we have um, an administrative person that is running all the numbers for me. So if somebody's not hitting the amount of follow-ups that they're supposed to do, I'm getting a notification. Um, and so it's all tracked pretty well. Of course, um, you know, there's always some issues with every system, but mm-hmm. right now it runs really, really smooth. Okay. So I like it. That's, that's very similar to what Jeff is doing with, uh, with the flagship team in Omaha. They're doing, you know, weekly meetings, but you're doing, you're doing every other week or whatever. Um, so in addition yeah. to like going through their CRM, is there anything else the sales managers covering in those meetings to hold them accountable? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, she's, You know, when we take someone on this new, they're going to have a a little bit of a learning curve to getting used to making a cash offer on every deal. It doesn't matter whether you've been in the business for 30 years and you're the number one real estate agent in your town. If you've never uh, been part of making a cash offer on every single deal, you're going to run into some challenges that you're not used to. So 
um, her, her role is really to get them to learn our systems and overcome any objections that they might have while they're on the appointment. Gotcha. Yeah. So they're doing a little bit of role playing, answering specific questions and helping them kind of through that process. So what does it look like from the agent's perspective? Because you alluded to it earlier that they're pretty much just, they're getting a packet, they're running out. They don't have to do like a lot of prep work for an appointment. So what is the, from the agent's perspective, when they get, you know, quote, an appointment or lead or whatever the case is, at what point do they start working it? And, Mm -hmm. and what's their responsibility in the transaction? So a lead comes in, it comes into my CRM follow-up boss. My insight, my full-time inside sales manager is making the call to book the appointment. Every one of the, so not all 140 agents take seller leads. You have to qualify to take seller leads. You need to keep your follow-up in check. So sometimes people are allowed on seller leads and then they get off of seller leads because right. they're not following protocol. Right. And so seller leads are my baby. So, you know, we have a lot more leeway if they're working buyer leads, but if they're seller leads that are potential acquisitions, I'm all over it. So, the, the lead comes in, my inside sales agent is making that call, booking the appointment, and all of my uh, agents who take seller appointments have a schedule once booking link. And so she's able to click and see who's available and who's not based on the geography. They get the appointment put on their calendar for the day and time that they're going to go out there. And then um, I have a full-time person that basically does valuations. So they run a full retail CMA for the agents on top of the fact that they'll actually run the investment numbers. So before one of my agents goes out on the appointment, they know what the property will probably be listed for if they were to list it, and they know what my cash offer is going to be. And so that that packet is put into follow-up boss for them just to click on before they go on the appointment. Now, do some of them do a lot more research before going out on the appointment, and do I want them to do it? Absolutely. Do all of them do it? No. (laughs) Some of them just rely on what I give them. I have a few questions real quick, Tom, for you. And thanks again for being on this call. And I apologize. I came in a little late today. So one thing I want to, I'm curious about is how many agents are you handing off these listings slash acquisition opportunities to out of the 140? About about 30. So out of my plan. Well, yeah, it's not even just qualified. Some of them, could be really good, but some of them are part-time. So, you know, we have people all the way from people who work 80 hours a week to people who work two hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in order to get seller leads, you need to be ready, willing, and able to take a, an appointment yeah. at a moment's notice. So it's both uh, a scheduling thing and um, their skill level and how much they're yeah. following up with leads. Are those agents compensated the same way if you buy it versus if they list it and it sells? No. So if they listed in Excel, we have a 50-50 split. So based on the, the price of it, you know, they would get right. a certain commission. If I buy it directly, they get a flat $4,500 commission. So essentially all they have to do in order to earn the $4,500 commission is take my lead, go out there, get the seller to sign a contract. They're done at that point. So right. they don't have to do the traditional things like making sure that we get a water reading and the smoke certificating, all that. They're done once they get that are you, contract. Are on. you guys charging 6% or 5% in your market? We're charging 5 In Massachusetts, it's very difficult to get above 5 in, yeah. It's actually a lot of people are doing 4 so, so, but if you're, uh, so if you're at four and they're keeping two on a $400,000 house to get an eight grand and you're, they're, you're giving, getting half of that. So essentially at 450,000, they make the same, just handing it over to you 
that they would make if they listed it and had to go all the way to closing. So they are pretty much more incentivized, I feel like, to get you acquisition deals versus taking the listing traditionally, unless it's a six or $700,000 property. And those we're not typically buying. So, you know, right. that, that is definitely factored into my thoughts. You know, I want to make sure that it's a better deal for them to get the acquisition and they won't right. be to list. Now we do get some properties that, you know, they're million dollar plus properties and I, my offer might be a million dollars and they would make more if they listed the property. So I do have to always be aware of what's going on there, you know, to make sure that, you know, you know, the incentives are lined up where you want them to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but but the majority of my property self that I buy, I pay three hundred thousand dollars and under. So it's it's what, not usually an issue. What percentage of the properties are getting purchased as acquisitions, and what percentage are getting listed? Ten to fifteen percent are acquisitions, and then um, eighty-five to ninety percent are are listed. Out of the ones that are acquired, the 10 to 15%, what percentage of those are you holding and what percentage are you wholesaling and what percentage mm-hmm. are you wholetailing? <laughs> are you familiar yep. with wholetailing? Yeah, yeah. We're doing a lot of that right now because of how hot the market is. So um, let me speak to it just so the audience knows the wholesale yeah. is when you sell it or assign a contract before you close. You don't have to close. Wholetailing is when you've closed on the property and then you sell it without fixing it up. And then, of course... Flipping is when you close on it, you fix it up, and then you sell it. Yeah, so um, so the ones that we're keeping, the percentages are going down and down and down as the Boston market keeps getting overinflated. Yeah. So right right now, unfortunately, a lot of the multifamily properties that cash flowed a couple of years ago don't. So although I really want to aggressively continue buying multifamilies, it doesn't make financial sense. So maybe 10% of the properties that we're getting under contract to purchase, we're actually keeping as rentals. Um, we don't wholesale much anymore. Um, so we, we have a, a bunch of capital. So, you know, we're always making more if we're buying it and either whole, wholetailing it or flipping it or, you know, fully renovating it and flipping it. Yeah. So the only time we'll actually wholesale a deal is if it's kind of a, a thin margin deal and, I have a friend that might want to do it. Maybe he does some of the work himself. And I just say, you know what, I'm going to let this one go because it's not really worth our time, effort and energy. Right. Um, but, but I would say about half of them were wholetailing and then the other half were actually, you know, bringing down to the studs and um, making them sure. basically perfect again. Cool. Just so our audience knows, for those that like to buy investment properties, what is your, uh, what's your goal from a percentage below market value? So like your, um, after repair value, ARV purchase price. So we use what pretty much most people use, which is 70% of ARV minus repairs. So if, if we think the ARV, the after repair value, which is what the property will sell for once we're done fully renovating it is 400,000. We're taking 70% of that to get to the 280 and say it's $50,000 in repairs. We're getting down to the 230, which we call our max allowable offer. And of course, we want to get it for less than 230, but in a very, very competitive market like this, where there's little inventory and, um, you know, desperate investor buyers, we're pretty happy when we get 70% of ARV. So we're, we're, we're definitely in line with you here in Omaha. We'll do about 50 transactions this year. And that's exactly what we're following. Uh, we don't have a Mm. lot of $300,000 deals. Unfortunately, we're in like the 150 to 200 range. Call a luxury home in Omaha. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So that's awesome. 
your market has some benefits, though. I mean, you can probably cash flow on a single family in your market, right? Oh, we're holding a majority of our purchases. Yes, we're cash flowing right. very so, nicely. So, so every market across the U.S. has its pluses and minuses. I mean, I'm right. definitely making more on a flip than you are, but I can't even buy rentals right now. I mean, exactly. I have, zero, I, well, I have to go out of my market. Yep. What we share a lot on podcasts is wealth isn't created by commissions we earn or the flip money that we make. It's based on what we own and the equity we build. And I know you believe in that as well. Multis work well in Omaha as well. Um, you're right. We don't make a ton off the flips. I'm making enough off the real estate income. And then I'm just redeploying that into the rental acquisition. I don't want to ever flip a property because I know when you and I, Tom, are in our 50s and we look back and think of all those flips, if we still owned those, I think that there will be a lot of regrets. So for the ones that can cash flow today, um, that we can get rented out and cash flow them, I think that it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. For sure. Cool. One thing that didn't get discussed, or at least since I've been on, that I think our audience is probably asking is where all these leads are coming from. Did you guys <laughs> speak to that yet, Matt? Uh, we, we covered it a little bit, but just in the terms of the, the type of advertising, you know, the message that's being sent out, but what, what's, I guess, what's the medium? So what's, what's the, what's the, um, the methods that you're using to get that cash, you know, cash offer message out there? Yeah, there's only three that work really. And, and by the way, I do basically all paid stuff. So I know Jeff, you're a big proponent of getting referrals and working your sphere and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I want to, uh, start doing some of the stuff you're doing, but 99.99% of the stuff that flows through my company is paid marketing. And so there's three things that are working really well for us, um, mailing, cold calling, and internet marketing, which is a combination of Google pay-per-click and Facebook ads. Cool. And a third, a third of our business is internet ads. Uh, we do yep. Facebook ads, Craigslist, um, Google AdWords. And then we've had a lot of success from an outbound prospecting standpoint, uh, which is our prospecting pillar, doing the outbound calls as well. Um, and then yeah. our sphere of influence is about, it was about, is about 60% right now today. We've done about 350 that's, sides this year. Yeah, but that, yeah. that has to be, that has to be clarified, Jeff, because that's what, what you consider an agent's sphere now was, yep. you know, may have been a pay-per-click lead generated five years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Over half probably are. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. second, third, fourth, fifth time down the road, agents now are calling them sphere after their second sale. But really, it was Internet at some point. So I guess two thirds of our business is from um, mm-hmm. past Internet leads that we generate. Now, something I'm curious, and you guys can both speak to this because you're, you're coming at it from different perspectives. But the, one of the things that I see, and, and Greg Harrelson asked me about this the other day, um, is, you know, most of the top teams out there, you know, are they if they have a scalable lead generation at all, if they do, you know, how much of that is buyer versus seller. Yeah. And I think Jeff, you'd agree. It's what, well, I mean, it's gotta be 80, 90%. Yeah. Greg, Greg was actually texting me about this too. Was he? Yeah. That a lot of teams lean towards the buy side. We've been about 70% for four or five years. Last year we ended uh 40% uh, listings and 60% buyers. Where are you guys at Tom? Man. I, so, I mean, my main focus on everything is to, to buy the properties direct. So, probably 80% of our business is seller leads. Um, but what we've started to do um, is use the, the flip properties to generate buyer leads. So this was something that, man, I regret not doing this. I mean, probably for eight, nine years, I never yeah. used these properties that we're flipping as tools to generate buyer leads. And I mean, literally, like we buy a property, we're going to renovate it for five, six months. We yeah, didn't have signs on the ground. Yeah. It's it, like... I, I, you know, I, yeah. um, let's talk I, about that I, I real work, quick. So what, what are yeah. you doing right now to generate buyer leads off of all these flip properties? 
Yeah. So the, the few things that are working really well, number one is the sign in the yard. All right. So the sign in the yard, there's such a little, little seller inventory in Boston right now that, you know, if someone wants to buy in that neighborhood, they drive by, they're calling. So we, we are typically renovating somewhere around 50 properties at a time. So, you know, if you th- think about, you know, maybe you get a, you know, call a week off each one of those signs, we're, we're generating an enormous amount of leads just off of that. Tell us about then the phone the, number and who's taking the call. <laughs> so the, the phone number goes to uh, a company called Pat Live and they're, they're an out of office receptionist 24 seven that they take the calls and then they dump them into my follow up boss um, software. Now that then goes to um, my inside sales agent on the buyer side, who's been working with them, trying to get them pre-approved and trying to get them to meet with one of our, our buyer agents. Do you have one inside sales agent that's taking 50 sign calls a week? So what we do, we actually use, um, we implemented the model that you use, which you have a buyer lead day, right? Yeah. All right. So we implemented that model. And so 50% of our leads go to this buyer inside sales agent that works on the buyer side and the other go to the people who are on the lead day. Okay. So you're testing that. Yeah. And so we generate over a thousand buyer leads a month. And right now I don't have enough agents to take them. So the people in my office who work the seller leads don't want to work the buy, the buyer leads. Right. <laughs> they, they, they said it's too much work. It's, you know, this and that. And, um, the, you know, so that leaves me with a hundred agents and out of those hundred, you know, a lot of them are part time. They, they don't want to, you know, really, you know, work outside of their sphere. So I'm hiring two or I'm trying to hire two or three people a week just to process these buyer leads. I have an extreme need right now people who want to work buyer leads and who are willing to, to follow our yeah. systems. Do you know what your conversion ratio is on those sign leads? Oh, I, it's, it's terrible. I mean, so we, <laughs> we, we, you know, I mean, I, I would say I'm not even exaggerating. I bet we have the lowest conversion in the country. We, on, the so we get about, on buyer leads, we get on about a thousand, leads. about a thousand leads per month. We're doing about two closings a month on the buyer side. That's bad. Think about that. Think about that for a second. <laughs> really yeah. But you know, you look at, well, they're, they're, yeah, the agents aren't working them. I mean, just, they're not, they're just, they're just responses. They're just about, you know, suspects at that point. They're not leads. Yeah. Tom, yeah. tell us about but, that. I mean, if you're only closing two out of a thousand, you said that you're putting them in follow up boss and you have all these metrics to make sure the agents are following up with all these lead opportunities. You should, they should be converting more. So it tells me the agents don't yeah. want to work sign calls and they don't want to work buyer leads. They don't. Do you think that's and, accurate? And, oh, 100%. And, you know, I've been working, this has been kind of my pet project for the last couple of months because this is kind of where I see where we could we could make a lot of money with improving just a few things. Yeah. But it's 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 frustrating, though, because, you know, you, you get somebody who comes on, they take they take a couple of buyer leads, they get out, they start working with people. They're making offers. They're not getting their offers accepted. And then they just get so frustrated with it. And it's yeah. like, because I'm involved in the investing side of the business, it's hard for me to really put a lot of effort and energy on helping them. And it's just, it's just a need right now. You know, like, yeah. like if you came, if you specifically came into my office for two months yourself, you, you'd probably get us up to 10 or 15 closed deals a month, just based on your level of expertise and, you know, what you'd be able to do. Two months is a long time. That's going to be expensive. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, 
we had somebody that that really um you know someone who could come in and kind of not implement the systems but basically be there on a day-to-day to to make sure that the people yeah. are, are staying on track all right so here it is i've got it for our whole audience because you are not the only person having this challenge and your challenge is just with those sign calls there's no difference people are people are people leads that come yeah. in off google adwords or craigslist or a sign call are people right I would argue mm-hmm. the sign calls are the best because they're people in Boston. They're people with boots yeah. on the ground. You know, they're real. You know, they have a phone number. You know, you're, you've already started off way further than where you might be when a lead comes in off the internet and they have the intent to buy something. They're calling about it. I, I have found a lot of times they say that they want to rent, but I'm assuming you're in a market where you can make money doing a two year lease agreement or a one year lease agreement. In Omaha, there's not a lot yeah. of money attached to those rental agreements. We don't get too many people that want to rent. Um, We get, we get mainly buyers and we, we don't have an issue with getting those buyers to start looking at properties. It's just what happens after that is kind of where, where we drop the ball. Okay. So you've done a good job. You have a company, you said that half 50% of those sign calls get captured by a third party company. They input the lead into the follow-up boss system. The other 50% of the sign calls are going to an agent that's essentially taking calls each day. And I'm assuming they also have to add that lead into follow-up boss. The question is, and I'm going to teach by asking you a couple questions. The first one okay. being the initial phone call. What is the goal of the agent? What's the agent's goal on that initial call when they do connect with the person calling? Because in both of those scenarios, someone's answering a phone and there's actually a person on the other end, right? Yeah. And so the the, the, the goal is to build rapport, kind of establish trust, and then get a meeting with them if possible. And So they want to set up have- a face-to-face. And if they can't get that, what's the second goal? The second goal would probably, I, I don't know what the second goal is. You tell me. <laughs> so what's the, the second, what, what's the thing to get a buyer addicted to you and keep them coming back? Yeah. Getting them hooked. You talking about getting them hooked into your website? Yeah. A listing yeah. updates. They're calling you about a property that's on the market. So what better mm-hmm. thing than to say on that call, Hey Tom, I can set you up on an email. Every time a property like this one hits the market, we'll pop an email out to you, but I don't have your email address. I just have your phone number. Let me grab your email address from you. So maybe mm-hmm. they're already doing that, but that's definitely going to be something that they're going to need to grab. We found that we don't win on conversion on that initial call. The initial call is planting a seed, always asking for a face to face. Most people will tell you to pound sand because you don't have a relationship yeah. with them yet. You build that relationship over time. And our average conversions have been a six month process. So the leads that are converted that are sign calls or internet leads, they take a six, six months of generating leads to them and providing value to finally get them to like say, Hey, let's go out and look at some property. So, and so my question to you would be, right? You get a brand new agent. Okay. And they need to make money and they get one of these leads and you know, and I know that it's going to take them four or five, six months to start putting money in their pocket. Yep. How do you get them pat how do you get them to that great point? great question. So I think that the trick is to share with them that the expectation when they come on board that you expect them to take these sign call leads and listing leads and that this is a long-term relationship and that those leads aren't going to pay them for probably 7 to 8 months. But where they're going to find mm-hmm. the most success is working their sphere of influence. So the hierarchy of lead gener- lead flow is number 1 your sphere, number 2 your prospecting and number 3 internet leads and or sign calls. And to me, the internet leads and sign calls are the most challenging source for converting 
They definitely are convertible, and they're the easiest to leverage as a team. You need to give everybody something, but the agents aren't going to make a lot of money off those right away. Those take a long time. So I think being transparent about that and then sharing with them the actual activities that you know they need to do with those lead sources, those three different lead sources, to get the best results. And so first, they're going to call their sphere. So every day, when let's say we, we reverse engineer it. So we know right now it takes 150 outbound calls to have one sale. Well, I want an agent to make 50 calls to their sphere, 50 calls to the prospecting, which is like just listed, just sold, expired, FISBO, open houses, and then 50 calls to internet leads or sign calls. So a third of their time would be the follow-up on these sign calls. Where people go wrong is they say, okay, well, thanks. Call me when you're interested. Well, now when do we expect them to call again? You said you get a 1,000 leads a month. Those 1,000 people, if they weren't ready to do a face-to-face meet and greet, they should be getting called once a month. And that can Absolutely. be from, you know, once, because the agents already had the connection with an internet lead that you've never talked to, you need to call a total of 10 times to get in touch. But then the question is, what's the long-term nurture? What's the long-term relationship? If you don't have an email address, you have to call. A lot of us like to hide behind an email, but emails don't build relationships. You know, seven levels of communication, Michael Mayer says, email's really just intended to set up meetings. And I agree with that. The relationship's going to be built by sending them content and then reaching out on a monthly basis to show interest. So how often are you requiring your agents to follow up with those sign call leads? So the action plan is that they have to, to follow up with them every day for the first 10 days until until something happens, until they get them on the phone and have a good conversation. And then they quick, stop you on a sign call. They've got them on the phone, right? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm thinking about the buyer. Right. Yeah, I know. Sign calls are unique. Like the leads that go through Pat Live, though those those they need yes. to follow up on, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I got confused there. But um, yeah, essentially, on after the first call, they then uh, putting an action plan depending upon what happened on that call. And I right. know I've listened to some of your stuff. I know you guys. What is it monthly? Right? You're basically hitting everyone monthly. So it just depends, right? So you have that initial call. So like all these relationships are the same. And a lot of times people look at CRMs and, you know, Boomtown is like a lead generator. It's a client relationship management software, just like what you're using with follow-up boss. But it only is going to do that for the people that you plug into the system. So grandma refers Mm -hmm. someone to me from her Bunko group. I'm going to treat grandma's lead the same way I'm going to treat the lead that called me off of the sign on a house that I'm, you know, my boss is flipping. The difference is you, or the same thing is that you have to define on that initial connect how long until that person's buying or selling. So if they indicate mm-hmm. to us that they're buying or selling now, we want a face-to-face appointment. If they indicate it's mm-hmm. three to six months out, then we're going to put them into nur- a, a category we call nurture, and we're going to call twice a month, every 15 days. And then if they indicate they're six months or a year out, six months to further out, then we're going to put them into watch, and we're going to call once a month. And then from holding them accountable, it's as simple as pulling up their follow-up boss account, sorting the leads in each of those categories based on the last contact and making sure that there's nobody in nurture that hasn't been called in the last 15 days and that there's nobody in watch that hasn't been called in the last 30. And if an agent is falling behind on that follow-up, then we just don't give them any more leads until their account's up to date. And once they get their account caught up, then we'll give them more leads. So we've had that happen too. And we take away leads and I've had so many people that just, okay, you're taking away my leads, whatever. When I didn't say takeaway leads, and I just said, we don't give them more leads. So oh, I guess that's a type oh, of no, takeaway. No. That's what I'm saying. I, I, we've taken away leads and you know, we've, we've still had a lot of cases where people are like, okay, no big deal, whatever. Yeah. You know, so those people shouldn't be working your leads. Yeah. yeah, yeah somebody yeah. doesn't so, care about the leads. And of course, what does that tell you? Those are the yeah. absolute wrong people to be sending leads to if they don't care. Those are going to be the type of people that are just going to cherry pick the easy ones and they're not going to work hard on all the others. 
Now you talked about you know the, them dialing 150 dials a day. Are are you having everybody come into your office to do this, or do, do they go anywhere? So it's actually it's not 150 a day. They each set their own call goal based on how many houses they okay. want to sell. So what I said was 150 outbound calls equals one sale. And this is based on our analytics. We've tracked this for three years. And so the average for Omaha, Nebraska on our team is 150 outbound calls. That can be a call to your sphere, to grandma. That can be a call, a cold call. That can be a follow-up call to a, a listing lead. So everybody tracks every day how many calls they make. So if your goal, you're on my team, Tom, and you want to sell three houses a month, I'll say to you starting off because I don't know you, hey, you're going to need to make 450 calls a month to be able to get that result. So we take 450 divided by 22 days a week, you know, if they're just working Monday through Friday, and then that's how many calls they need to make every day. And so agents report to us based uh, every week we have an accountability meeting where they'll report how many calls they made, how many contacts they got, how many appointments, how many face-to-face appointments they went on, how many listings they took, um, how many executed contracts, and how many houses they're negotiating on, and then how many hours they spent prospecting that week. And so we have mm-hmm. analytics for each of our agents individually and then a- analytics for our team as a whole. So we know what kind of conversion ratios to expect. So if I, you know, okay. on our team, our expectation is that the minimum would be 20 sales a year. And so everybody's expected to make a minimum of a hundred calls a week. Now that's super low. Greg Harrelson, who we talked about earlier today, his agents are probably making a hundred calls, uh, probably 300 calls a day would be my guess because they're all prospecting three hours every day in the office from seven to 10. Uh, Monday through Friday. We don't have that expectation. Our agents can set their own call goal as long as it's a hundred or more. They can set their own goal for how many houses they want to sell as long as it's 20 houses or more. And I don't mm-hmm. think that it's up to me to tell someone how much money they need to make. It's up to them to decide what type of lifestyle they want. And then the money just lines up with that, whatever that lifestyle is. And then it's my job to train them on how to be successful in making the call, hold them accountable to actually making the call, and then even provide them with some leads with whom they can call. If they don't need to work my internet leads, that's great. And I have no expectation that everyone has to. The reason we have those leads there is for the newer agents that are trying to build their book of business. But what we've trained and what I believe and what I really would like the audience to capture with this comment is that if you have leads that you're not working, and if you have agents, Tom, that have leads that they're not choosing to work, they should have agents that they hand those leads off to. So we've uh, we've empowered our agents on our team to now build teams within our team. And we want our lead listing agents to have four or five buyer's agents so they can kick off the lower lying fruit to their buyer's agents so that they don't have to focus on that. Everyone wants to focus on listings, but why turn something down? You know, that would be asinine when you're losing money by turning it away. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Just, you know, because I mean, yeah, buyers may be a little bit more difficult in this market, but, you know, unless you're doing a ton of deals every single year, and you, you don't need to work buyers at all. I mean, man, they're just sitting out there and, you know, they are going to buy something, you know, maybe right. it just takes a little bit longer. And of course, right. like you said, I think that the key thing to me, you know, I'm not an agent. My, I, I mean, I'm licensed, but I don't do agency business. But the key to me is like you're building up your own sphere of influence. So each of these people that you're talking to, you're adding them into your bucket. And if you're new, I mean, that's what you need. I mean, you need to, to build your sphere. I mean, you start out with 100, 200 people. But, you know, the, the, the people that are super successful over the long haul, they have a huge sphere. So to me, this is just a way to dump another person into your sphere. Yeah, you would think people would plug in. I think the challenge is, is when agents look at what they're doing, they think of themselves as someone that services a buyer or a seller. And it's not sexy to service a buyer. No one wants to do that. They'd rather go on a list press and list a house. But if they looked at their business as a business, 
they would recognize what the what the future profit potential is of that one client, even if it's a buy side client. What was the book? I was at Freakonomics that talks about Starbucks and they figured out what one person is worth to Starbucks. And that's mm-hmm. why they treat those relationships. Matt, do you remember what book that was? Uh-huh. There's a book that breaks down a relationship. Starbucks actually exposed like what they earn per customer. And I don't remember what the number was, but I want to say it was $150 a year per customer. I've tried to instill in my agents that if they looked at each opportunity, not as a dollar sign, but as future earning potential based on referral business that could come from that individual, that they could be a lot more successful. And so you think about the agents on Tom's team and Tom, your story is just like 99% of the people we talk to is the agents don't respect those leads the way that they should. It's because the agents don't respect themselves. And if they respected themselves, they'd realize that there's going to be a day where they don't have to personally service buyer leads ever again, but that they should build a team around themselves of individuals that they could refer those deals off to so that that lead does get serviced. So not only do you generate income off that one lead, but then build a relationship with the lead. Like you said, it's now in your sphere and forever you're going to be able to service that person and anyone that they come in contact with. That's going to be buying or selling a house. So it's frustrating yeah. as team leaders across the country and everybody's like, my agents don't want to work internet leads. They don't want to work sign calls. The truth is they don't want to work. It lands at that. You don't need to say any more. They don't want to yeah. work because the people that do are killing it. It's the people that aren't yeah. working hard that simply aren't getting the results that they want because they, they're not willing to do the hard work. Do you, do you have a plan on your team um, on how to not work hard to make a bunch of money? Absolutely. That one out yet? Yeah. I mean, that's that it's exactly what I'm doing. And it's what a lot of agents that have like prescribed to the millionaire millionaire real estate agent book are doing to not work hard. You have to be meant, you have to mentally work hard. But I think the answer is generating leads, providing training, holding your agents accountable and left and adding agents. So, you know, mm-hmm. the three big things I had a podcast yesterday with Josh mm-hmm. Smith. Uh, he hosted me and we talked about the three key factors. Any successful growth business in real estate is recruiting, training and retention. So the challenge is as brokers and team leaders, we recruit, we train and we retain, at least we should be, but individual agents aren't taught to do that. And that always surprises me. I have a quote I keep on my wall in my office that says, uh, leaders serve followers. To me, the best service a leader can ever do is provide the people that they serve, the people that follow them, the ability to be just like them. And so that's one of the reasons on our team, we give all of our agents the ability to have their own teams. They can leverage the same way we have. The challenge is a lot of people don't want to do it because it's a huge risk, right? You have to spend some money. You might have to spend $500 a month to generate leads. And you might have to go on some appointments that might not pan out. And you might have deals that bomb. And, you know, people are always worrying about what might happen negatively. And I try to empower people to think about what might happen positively. Obviously, I don't need to talk to you on this. But for anyone listening, take the risk, you know, do the next step that might change your life. And worst case scenarios, it doesn't. But you still learn something from that failure. And that's the whole fail forward idea. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's uh, close with this. Uh, Tom, just give us a quick breakdown of the positions on your team uh, that you kind of uh, have allowed you to kind of scale out of the business. So you're only you know spending an hour and a half or so on each part of the business and what their, what their roles are real quick. All right. So I've got a recruiter who is her, her sole role is to bring in new talent. I've got a sales manager whose sole role is to um, handle uh, and manage the, the leads are getting worked, uh, scripts, things like that. Uh, I have a full-time compliance person who makes sure that we're in compliance with all the rules and regulations. And in Massachusetts, there is a bunch of them. 
Um, we have a full-time accountant who handles all of the commission cutting and making sure that everyone's getting paid on time and that the books are taken care of. Um, and those are, and I have an administrative assistant. And so those are the kind of the main roles that get served in within the brokerage to help me kind of leverage out my own time. And then on the flipping side of the business, I have two partners that actually manage all of the construction. So I know, Essentially, I you know I bought a hundred houses last year. I didn't go inside any any one of them. Where I'm sitting today is where I sit. You know, twelve hours a day. You know, five days a week. So I don't move. Um, <laughs> and so that's how you know I I know that me traveling is a waste of time. So I I like to be in you know the, the mission control panel right here. So where I can kind of you know manage what everything everything that's going on in the company. Gotcha. Very cool. Awesome, man. Yeah, and, and two of those positions are mainly because you are the uh, the broker. That would be taken care of at the broker level if you were a team underneath a brokerage, right? Like the accountant, the um, the compliance person. Yeah, I mean everything everything fits together. I mean the brokerage and the investment side of the business to me they work together. I mean you know we're we're prospecting for motivated sellers, and at the end of the day, whether they sell to an investor or whether they, whether they list the property. We're doing the same activities, you know, like Jeff does a lot of cold calling. I work with his team on some cold calling stuff and we're prospecting the same to the same people either way. So it's, it's a matter of how we monetize those leads. How many callers do you have right now? I've got, I think seven and I keep asking every single day for more and, um, they're working on it. (laughs) I'm in the same boat, brother. We're up to six. I know. And I'm every day. I'm like, all right, add two more, add two more. Yeah, I mean it's it's a great system, and I mean even like the the training that you provide, the expansion training for me, it's so valuable because the problem for me is that I I'm so busy with all these different things and I'm kind of juggling that like I don't I don't my, my brokerage isn't a franchise, so your system where you're you're basically teaching my agent, so so you're you're the best when it comes to that kind of stuff, so I don't even have to step in and do it. My agents can just go on you know the Facebook group watch your team get the training that they need. And, you know, not that I don't have to be involved, but that's another leverage point um, that Matt asked me about that I actually forgot about is, is your team helping with the training as well. Cool. Matt, there you go. There's our testimonial. (laughs) After that screenshot. (laughs) Uh, How long have you guys been on flat rate? Uh, Oh, uh, about a month now. Uh, I, I, I missed, uh, I don't know. There was a month where I, I was, what was that? You, 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 I think you completely missed out on round one, essentially, like the initial beta I, group or something. You're in the second round. I, yeah, I did. And um, I asked Jeff to let me on um, while we were beta testing, and he said no. So he said I had to wait. No so. way. Yeah, come <laughs> yeah. on, man. That's a closed group, brother. You know, and it's funny because we're still beta testing. Any business that oh, launches is like in beta for a year. We're, we're making course. all sorts of mistakes. So we'll uh, we're going to have that thing running really nice here in the yeah. next couple of months. I mean, you're going to make mistakes, but honestly, what you're providing now, even if you didn't fix some of the kinks, to me, it's hugely valuable because it's either that or they're either not getting that training or I have to do it. So right. to me, even 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 you at 40 percent is better than probably what I would have been delivering. So, yeah, cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just so we can acknowledge it and speak to the audience listening, um, what Tom's referring to is flat rate expansion. We haven't really had a really 
public announcement of it. We posted a lot online, but what that is, is it's 12 hours of training content that we deliver every month and it's all live streamed right now to Facebook. But what's new is we're going to be live streaming to livestream.com. We bought an account with them. It's pretty expensive, but it's going to give us a lot more control. Uh, we'll be able to actually stream in 1080p versus Facebook lets you stream in 1080, but then the recording is 480, which looks really bad. And then we're also adding four SDI cameras to our office that all have zoom lenses and a joystick that moves the cameras. So the angles are going to be a lot better. Uh, we're also putting eight bugged mics throughout the office. So the mic, the audio is going to be a lot better. The quality is going to be a huge notch up, probably 10 times better. So I'm really excited that we're going to be able to offer that to you guys. Seeing you in, in 1080s is really something that's getting me excited. Ah! <laughs> I know it, man. Oh. I know you're going to like that. Good that it's not just me, right? We need to get yeah. more Missy out, out there. Missy's the professional yeah. one. I'm not. Today I came with a bald head. Matt, how many times have I done a po- podcast without my hat on? This is crazy. <laughs> you do have a hat on a lot. I don't know why. I, it's kind of my thing. Yeah, right. Today everyone gets, gets to see the real Jeff. <laughs> okay. Well, quickly, uh, Jeff, why don't you tell people about the, um, the workshop we got coming out? Cause this episode cool. will come out before the one, not the, uh, not the, not the rocker box one, but the public one in June. Yeah. So this is going to be pretty awesome. Uh, June 19th, we host a team building workshop. Tom would love to have you come out since you were a guest on our show. I'll offer you a visit for free. If any, at any upcoming team building workshop, you can come out for free as an affiliate partner. Um, so June 19th is during the college world series. So if you're into baseball, uh, we're not going to make that part of our event, but you could probably pick up some tickets pretty cheap. I can help you do that if you need me to. Um, we're going to have an all day workshop at our office on Monday, June 19th. People usually fly in on a Sunday. Uh, they'll spend all Monday with us going through my CLAPS acronym, Culture Leads Accountability Processes Strategies. You'll spend an hour with our operations manager, an hour with our team success manager. You'll get to see one of our actual team um, accountability meetings with our team. Usually we'll get about 25 to 30 agents out at that. And then we end the day with a nice steak dinner and questions and answers. So you will not come and not be impressed. And uh, we definitely take it to the next level. People are usually exhausted by the end of the day. We even have to surprise you with a Starbucks delivery midday to amp everybody back up and get them back on board with us. So we'd love to have you guys out as our audience members. Tom, of course, we'd love to have you out. It's a really good time. Yep. So that's uh, jeffsworkshop.com. Just go there, check out all the details, and then you can register right through the site. And then, Tom, tell us a little bit about the uh, the coaching consulting that you're doing and how people can connect with you. Yeah, so um, what I've started to do at the end of last year is basically almost, I don't want to call it a franchise, but essentially, you know, take all the systems that are in my business that I use to generate leads and to do investing deals, and I'm working with people outside of Boston. And so as of today, we're in 40 different counties and we're growing pretty quickly. And so what what I basically provide them with is the leads and the coaching on how to close those deals. So we work with everybody from somebody who's never done an investment deal before all the way to people who have done 40 or 50 deals a year, but just need to generate higher quality leads. And so the best way to get in touch with me on that is to go directly to uh, I have a video website. Uh, which is www.realestateinvestingiseasy.com. Again, that's www.realestateinvestingiseasy.com. And there's a quick video that you can watch on how it all works. Very cool. 
Awesome. And Tom, you and I are working together on the Real Estate Mogul podcast. We've already recorded a couple episodes of that. So that'll be coming down. So by the time you guys are seeing or hearing this, especially if you're watching this down the road on, on YouTube or iTunes or Stitcher, obviously subscribe to the team building podcast because that's the kind of content that you get here is all focused on real estate team building. But if you want the investing and motivated seller lead generation side of things, that's what Tom, your podcast is focusing on. And you're interviewing a combination of everyone from investors to agents that, are, that dabble in investing to people that are doing both like what you're doing and just sharing how to kind of build that toolbox of strategy so that you can walk into every listing appointment armed with the ability to make them an offer or take that listing and some other uh, strategies as well. So that'll be a lot of fun. So guys, keep on the lookout for that. With that being said, that was a lot. So guys, go check out all that stuff. Make sure to subscribe to the shows, subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher. Keep them in your phone. Have the, uh, the latest episodes available for you when you're working out or you're in between meetings, or you can never leave the office like Tom. I think he's got a cot. 12 hours there. a day, man. That's impressive. Also, we didn't say this. We should have said it in the middle, but look at Tom's whiteboard. I was like, dude, can you use the camera? I want to like read every single one of those items. That was really yeah. impressive. And you're doing really amazing things, Tom. We interview a lot of people. You're playing big. Um, I love hearing about that. I love seeing all the houses that you guys are acquiring and flipping. Um, I would definitely like to connect my flipping partner, um, who's also my best friend. We're business partners 50-50. I'd love to connect him with you if you'd have some time for that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Thanks, guys. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Like always, appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for watching, and we'll see everybody on the next one. Sounds good.